0: Alright, something that is very important, I think I've got that fixed right today, we're going to find out in a minute, I guess. <laughs> we are in Jude this morning, read earlier in Hebrews, the joy that Christ had in the face of his salvific work. Now you know, Christian, we are called to live in joy, right? That's 1 Thessalonians, that's Philippians, you know all those verses, we've actually used those at Christmas time before. Why? <laughs> See how many times I told you I don't care about what I care about. Why? Why do you live in joy? One of my favorite quotes is from Robert Murray McShane, old Scottish pastor. He's been dead for almost 200 years now. Um, if, you've ever, uh, if you've ever dove into uh, Bible reading plans and reading the Bible through in a year, if you've come across any plans that are reading the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once in a year, odds are that is based off of Robert Murray McShane's reading plan. But he had a great quote that I like, and I always try to remember. For every look you take at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. one, he's better looking than you are, two, he's a lot more important than you are, three, it matters for the world. Now, what will this do? When I do that, what will it do for me? Well, it'll remind me of where I was. We talked a whole bunch about that last week. If you want to know more about that, go listen to last week's. It will do you good, but it will also remind you of where you are, and I'm big on this, and you guys know this. When can you be faithful? Now, I can't be faithful 20 minutes ago, and I can't be faithful 20 minutes from now, but I can be faithful now. This is what's important and why we're gonna dive into Jude here is because your joy is not, as a Christian, supposed to be based on how you feel. It is supposed to be based on the reality in which you walk. And we do a terrible job of that in the modern American world. We we just do. Everything is a feeling. If you don't believe me, find a teenager. (laughs) You're not supposed to laugh. (laughs) I like that. Why? And if you don't have a teenager, think back. You're not that old. You can remember what it was like to be a teenager. Always remember the rules of life. You are only as young as you feel. I am 84 today, okay, just in case you were wondering. Most days I'm in my 90s. Today I'm doing really well. You know, My back's doing okay. My knees don't hurt. It's a good week. But in all honesty, your joy is based on reality. This is why you need to take your looks at yourself and take your looks at Christ, because it will center you on what is true and right in the world. Now, before we dive in, all right, there is no chapter here for Jude, because Jude is tiny. It has 25 verses. Whenever a Bible book does not have chapters, you don't list them when you do the reference, okay? So, Obadiah. Philemon, Jude, 2nd and 3rd John. I think that's everybody that doesn't have chapters, right? Am I missing something? I think that's everybody. So you would give the reference for Jude. Like it's Jude 8 and 9. Well, is that chapters 8 and 9? No, there are no chapters. So I just point that out because it's one of those random little things about the Bible that you know, people don't pay attention to. Um, this is the very, very end of this book, which means before we dive into the end of this book, what must we do first? actually understand what the beginning is about, otherwise the end might make absolutely positively no sense. So this is so simple, we're going to do this rapid fire style, right? Jude introduces himself. He is half brother of Jesus. We are writing end of the 60s, early 70s. If you put a gun to my head and made me pick something, like twisted my arm, I would tell you, Before the destruction of the temple, so late 60s, early 70 AD. So, half brother of James, half brother of Jesus, he wanted to encourage the Christians in and around the area of Jerusalem, which is where his ministry primarily was. But there was a problem with that. He couldn't write to just encourage the disciples because they were dealing with false teachers and people that were leading them astray. So he has to not encourage them in their faithfulness, but encourage them to fight, to take up the battle for the faith because it has been handed down, they rejoice in it, and they must Rightly walk in it, and parts of that walking in it is understanding what is right, and also understanding when the wrong comes into the church. And when the wrong comes into the church, you must do what. Now, come on, come on. What's our phrase? How do, what, what do we do when we when we deal with sin? We kill it, and how? We kill it with fire, right? So, when the false, this is why we burn heretics, right? Okay, we don't do that anymore, do we? We should. I keep telling. Look, what's my favorite Bible verse? Nehemiah 13.25, I beat them about the head and pulled out their beers and made them swear by God. If, if we had that attitude towards our sin more often, we would be better for it as a society. But okay, we don't get to burden the heretics. But as Daryl said, you get the left foot of fellowship, right? We don't, extend the, we don't extend the right hand of fellowship to false teachers. We extend the left foot as we kick them out the door. So that's what Jude is encouraging these people, and he's warning them why. Because to follow after the false teachers is to go in the ways of the false teachers of old. It's to rebel against Moses. It's to walk away from God. It's to attempt to curse the people that God is attempting to bless. Those are some of the examples that are given in this letter. So with that all said, you get to what we call the, uh, the benediction or the doxology of Jude, which is the very end. And we are going to take a whole Sunday on these two verses because it is worth it. Because Jude crams that much into this little doxology. Sound fun? Okay, let's dive in. Verse 24. I got it right. <laughs> Last two weeks, I haven't been able to see that because of the candle. Sorry. There we go. Now, to him who is able to keep you. All right, time out. We got to stop right there. Christian, what can you keep? <laughs> A big fat goose egg, right? Matthew 5. I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. How many times did the scribes and the Pharisees break their arms in applauding their own righteousness? Unless you're better than them, you're not getting in. And what did all the people in that crowd immediately think? I'm never going to get in because I can't be better than them, because I'm not going to spend the time that they're spending to count the shekels and the the offerings and the steps on the side. I'm I'm not doing all that. I can't be better than them. And you're telling me in order to get in, I have to be better than them. What's the lesson? You can't. But who can to him who is able to keep you. 1 Corinthians 1, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, In all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, let's do our good theology time. We are preserved trinitarily, if that's not a word... It is now. We've just decided. Or maybe in a Trinitarian manner. We are preserved by both Father and Son. John 10, Jesus speaking to the crowds. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What's the next verse? I and the Father are one. I point this out to you because tis the season for false teaching. Ooh, that's a song right there. Oh, oh, Danny, we got we got work to do. We got to we got to write that one. Terry. Wait, that 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 has way too much ring to it. We got to write that song quickly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hang on. Excuse me. This time of year in Easter time, look, turn on the History Channel, turn on some secular news thing, turn on National Geographic Channel, whatever, and they will have some special that will tell you, walking you through the originations of Christmas and how the Christians somehow managed to, you know, add this thing about Jesus being God later on down the line. We went through John. Do you remember the thing that we kept doing at the end of every chapter? Kept pointing this out to you. Some of you went through all of it. When someone looks at you and goes, you know, I really wish somewhere in the Bible Jesus had claimed to be God. I was like, well, take him to John 1. Take him to John 2. Take him to John 3. Take him to John 4. You you, sensing the pattern? Pick a chapter in John. Somewhere in there is a claim from Jesus to possess the power, authority, wisdom of God. Therefore, he is claiming to be God. He is doing this throughout the gospel. Why? Because this is what John wants was writing for. That's what he was attempting to prove to you by presenting Jesus the way that he was presenting him. So this time of year, you want some encouragement because I've given, I think the last two weeks, my encouragements have been a little, a little underwhelming as far as how good we're doing. But if you want some actual encouragement, go read John and read it for the descriptions of deities of Christ, the demonstrations of power, the demonstrations of authority, it will uplift you and center you onto who Christ is and what he is doing. To him who is able to keep you, that is Father and Son. And by the way, that is also Spirit, because in him you are sealed, Ephesians 1. In him, talking about Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. This is why when you ask, how do I know? I tell you, I don't care what aisle you walked. I don't care what pastor you spoke to. I don't care how warm or cold the water of the baptistry was. And there are times when it is cold, and those those are not fun days. I had, did a baptism years ago for a for a, a about ten, eleven year old kid, and I didn't think he was gonna make it because I stepped in it went mountains of North Carolina. It was about 20 degrees outside. They were bringing the water out of the well in the back, and and the heater didn't work, so they poured it in there on Friday and left it with no heat running, and it was just sitting in the baptistry, and they thought they were heating it up, and they weren't. (sighs) I hit it, and I'm like, okay, I can do this, because I'm an adult. That kid hit the water and stopped, and I'm like, come on,
1: come on, son.
0: So that has nothing to do with anything, just, you know, so you can feel my pain. There are times when it is quite frigid, but it doesn't matter, because that's not the thing you go back to. The thing you should look to is actually the work of God accomplished in your life. In other words, where were you? What were you? Where are you? What are you? We've talked about this for years. Um, Christian sanctification is a good stock market, right? When you're checking your investment incomes and your retirements, what do you want to see that stock market do? You want to see it go up. You want to see it start over here and end up over there, right? Now, does a stock market do that in a straight linear line, right? No. No it does what? But over time, years, this is why they tell you for investments, what should you be thinking? Should you be thinking I'm putting it in in January and I'm pulling it out in June? No, I should be putting it in in January of this year and pulling it out of June of like 2055, right? Because over time, you want to leave it in there long enough to, this is what your sanctification looks like. It's a couple of steps forward, and then every once in a while, it's a step or two back, and then we step forward and But if we keep up the good fight, if we are listening to what's going on, if the Holy Spirit is at work in us, what is he going to do? He's going to keep us on the track. Sin is not removed from you in this life. I'm not making you that promise. I'm not even trying to point you in that direction. But I am talking about that God does not forsake and forget his people. God does not abandon them. Will he discipline them? Yes. The goal of discipline is to get what? Why did you discipline your kids? So they would continue doing the dumb thing you wanted them to stop? No, so they would stop and get back to doing the thing that they are supposed to be doing. Christian, welcome to the discipline of God. Welcome to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're walking. You're traveling. You're doing well. You're reading your Bible. You're, you're volunteering. You're doing all of the wonderful things. You're participating in the work of the kingdom. And then all of a sudden it's like, where did you go? You're like, I don't know. Well, how did you get here? I don't know. How do I get back? Repent and walk faithfully. And who, who brought that to your remembrance? That's what the Holy Spirit does. Gave you that little bit of left foot, got you back on the track, and sent you along. This is why look back 10, 20, 30 years of your walk in Christ, if God, you know, brings you along that far. And rejoice, because don't look at where was I last week versus where I am this week. Where were you 5, 10, 15 years ago, and where are you now? If you're farther along, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the accomplishment of God. The things that he is doing and building and carrying you forward. That's him who is able to keep you. To keep you from what? To keep you from stumbling. Uh, Well, doesn't that just mess up everything we just talked about? No. No, it doesn't. Because if we have someone who walked away, you know what it proves? That there was no discipline. If there's no discipline, what does that mean? That there was no Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 5. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Well, that's pretty certain, isn't it? That God is going to do these things for his people. Who's the author of 1 Peter 5? Do you think there's a guy who knows about two steps forward and one step back? Any, anybody in the New Testament you think got a better understanding of three steps forward and two steps back than Peter? I mean, I've joked for years that John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter is the disciple who put his foot in his mouth. I mean, the Mount of Transfiguration, the denials of Christ, I, this, this, this guy, the, the failing when the walking on the water, I mean, the questioning about what's going to happen to John after he just gets told what's happening. I mean, this guy, every time you turn around, it's like, just do less. Can, can, have, you, have you thought about, like, not saying it? Like, I I appreciate Peter because I was joking in Sunday school. I was was being picked on because they thought I'd planned out a joke. And I thought of the joke exactly a half a second before I said it out loud. And sometimes that's great and sometimes that gets me into trouble. But this is why I appreciate Peter because that was Peter. Peter's like on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus shining with the glory of God. He's like, this is awesome. We should be setting up worship for you and Moses and Elijah. Think about that before you say it out loud, man. Don't just don't just say it. Just for like a second, think about it. And the answer was no. He thought it, therefore he he said it. Yeah, he's, he's he's lucky he doesn't spontaneously combust. Why doesn't he spontaneously combust? I mean, let's be honest. If you're reading your New Testament and you were gonna bet which disciple was gonna betray Jesus, you'd have had a little money on Peter, wouldn't you? Because if somebody could have been talked into it towards the end, it would have been that guy. And yet. He's walking faithfully. Why? Because he's awesome? No. He's gone out of his way to prove that he's not. But because God is awesome and faithful and accomplishing. Which means if you can wander off that path and keep going that way, it's because the Holy Spirit isn't going, hey, hey, you, get back over here. Where do you think you're going? I'm sorry. I mean, the Holy Spirit does that for those that are his. Peter can appreciate that because Lord knows Peter understands that and has experienced that. I mean, think about even beyond the Gospels. We get a rebuke of Peter in Galatians because Peter shows up with the Gentile churches and starts drawing away from them as the Judaizers show up. And Paul has to go and correct him. I mean, if you you name the opportunity, Peter's like, choice A, choice B, choice B. Oh, my bad. Okay, we'll go this way next time. Sorry. And yet, what do you see? You see the faithful work of God, the accomplishment of the Holy Spirit. Christian, this is good news. He is who keeps you. He is who upholds you. He is who carries you along. Always remember that. Now, not only does he do that, but he's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. (laughs) That's cool. What is needed from you to stand before God? What must you be? Like, what happens when you bring sin before a holy God? How's that work out? You know what that looks like, right? It's the ending of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. They take the lid off, the, you know, the Nazis all melt and everybody's happy. Because let's be honest, anytime the Nazis melt, it's a good day. We can agree on that, right? Okay, just making sure. If you're not nodding your head, see me after the service. No. How righteous are you feeling today? How perfect are you feeling most Monday mornings? You're not. So how he's able to keep me from stumbling and to make me stand in this presence of his glory? Which means I have to be righteous. I have to be cleansed. I have to be whole. But I don't have that, Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. You have a righteousness. This is your second theological talk for the day. You have righteousness imputed to you. It is yours, but it wasn't yours. Does that make any sense? See, this was actually the, um, the big argument of the Reformation because the Roman Catholic Church would argue for what we call an infused righteousness. So, like, okay, you know what an infusion is. Don't think blood. That's not, that's not really fun. When we talk about infusion of righteousness, think like those, um, you ever have those lemonade jugs? Are those juice jugs where you put the water in and they got the hollow cylinder with the solicitor, with the, and you fill it up with the fruit, and then you let it soak for a day so that your water doesn't taste like water. See, I'm weird, I actually drink water, so I don't understand these things, but like, so you fill it up with oranges, and then your water has this little orange flavor. Well, that's an infusion of flavor. Now, here's the problem. You put all your oranges in, you fill it up with water, you let it sit overnight. Now, what happens when you empty the pitcher and then you put more water in it? What's it taste like? It tastes like water again, it doesn't taste like oranges. Now, if you let it sit for another day, you might get some more orange flavor, but is it as strong? No, you gotta replace the fruit. This is the problem with an infusion, is what must be done with it. It's gotta be renewed, it's gotta be refreshed. Welcome to the Roman Catholic system. If you're ever wondering, why why, why is mass a requirement? Why is confession? Why is penance? Why are all of these things required? Because all of those things are counted as an infusion of grace and then when it wears off you got to come back and get your check up and you know get a couple more oranges shoved in the water jug all right the reformation argued no read your bible it's not an infusion it is an imputation it is christ's righteousness not sprinkled over you to be redone later it is christ's righteousness made yours you stand before god righteous because of the work of christ and it is part of you that is why Jesus can look and say, That one is mine, because I have given him my righteousness. I have taken away his reproach. He stands as I stand. And you go, <laughs> Thank you, because you have done nothing. Christ has done all. Now, this matters because what's the reality of all humanity? Not some of humanity, all humanity. We talked about this last week. How do I know you're no good? See who's paying attention. How do I know you're no good? But 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 you, but you could be human and maybe maybe there's a possibility that somebody someplace is good. What's the one incontrovertible fact that demonstrates you are no good? Christmas. Christmas is. Christ. Christ, born of a virgin. Why? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. If there was a chance you weren't lost, would you go do that? Or would you sit there and go, man, they got—they could figure this out if they just work a little harder. What does Jesus say in the garden? If there is another way, but not my will, yours be done. There's not another way. There is no chance you're finding another path. There's no third path. Broad road that leads to destruction, narrow road that leads to life. Though that's it. And the narrow road only exists because of the work of Christ. That's it. Which means if there was a possibility that you could figure this out by yourself, the work of Christ would be unnecessary. If it is unnecessary, then this is a cruel and horrid work. That's how we know you're no good, because Christ did it. Does God do unnecessary, cruel things? No. Therefore, it is necessary and it is good because we are not Isaiah recognizes this, in the, king, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another, said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And I said, I mean, let's be honest, how many of you be like, that would be so cool cool to see. I would love to see something like that. How many of you thought that? Be honest, just for a second. Isaiah says, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When God shows up, what's the universal human reaction? That's a technical term. Ezekiel and John fall down like a dead, like dead men. Isaiah is looking for some place to hide, and I, I mean, people are freaking out. The Israelites at the foot of the mountain tell Moses. Moses comes down. Nobody go up the mountain, and all the people said, "Duh." <laughs> I mean, duh. Have you seen what the mountain looks like? You talk. We're good. We'll be right here. Is that how Jude speaks? Jude's rejoicing. Why? Because Isaiah in that moment is infinitely aware of his sin, of his unrighteousness. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Because for every time you look at yourself and realize that I can't stand, remember that you can look upon Christ and realize I'm already there. Now I stand, not because of me but because of him and I no longer fear, but I rejoice because all that would be a worry to me has been taken out of the way. All that would be corruption has been undone. All that would be that separates me from God has been cured by his work. And by the power of his spirit and by the working that he is doing, he is bringing me through to the day of completion and I will get there, not because of me, but in spite of me, because of him. That's a reason for rejoicing each and every day. So he's able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. We got to the end of one verse, go us. And we're doing really good on time, by the way, and I keep a check on that. So this is a needed thing. You have to be blameless, right? You have to be declared blameless because, I mean, humanity is not good at this. We've just covered all of that. First Thessalonians 3. May our God and Father himself and and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Establish your heart blameless. Christian, please... Please, 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 never forget where you stand. You stand not guilty. You stand in Christ's righteousness. You stand in victory. You stand before the Father. You stand because of the Son, and you are sealed in the work of the Holy Spirit. I say that because the great temptation is to forget the ten looks at Christ. The great temptation is to look at yourself and have that uncomfortable conversation and stop. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. That's the only weapon the enemy has left. What does Satan mean? He's the accuser. He's an adversary, but what what does the enemy do? What's the only weapon he's got? You want a good example of this? Go read Jude. Um, Go read Job. Got too many J's today. All the kings in Sunday school class were J names, weren't they? What's going on with J's? Okay. Sorry. It's my fault. All the the Christmas books are J's this year. I didn't, well, I can't say I didn't do it. I did do it. So anyway, yeah, no one to blame but myself. But go read Job. And always remember who picks the fight. Have you considered my servant Job, God says. What's Satan's only recourse? Well, yeah, of course he loves you. Look at everything you've given to him. Take everything away and watch how he acts. That's all he's got. He can't go down there and go, oh, yeah, watch what happens when I take all of his stuff. He doesn't have that kind of power. He doesn't have that kind of authority. All he can do is lob accusations. It's God who says, okay, take his stuff. And Satan gets to do it. He comes back. Have you considered my servant Job? Well, yeah, you left him. You took all the stuff in the family, but you left him, right? What's he got again? It's not let me go do this. It's, well, look at him. It's an accusation. That's all. That's all that there is. This is the power that sin has over you. To get you paying attention to you. Because as we talked about last week, are you good? No. I know it. You know it. Your sin knows it. And that's the power and the weapon that it wants to wield. It's to get you to stop right there. You're no good. You're terrible. You can't do this. You can't raise children. You can't get your work right. Your friends don't like you. Your in-laws hate you. Yeah. That's that's the power. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Such were some of you, First Corinthians chapter six. But you are washed, you are redeemed, you were purchased, as Peter, first Peter tells you, you're purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb. And that is why you now stand blameless. That's the power. This is why, okay, you ever run across these ministries where we're we're binding the devil and we're casting out Satan? Run. I very rarely tell you to run. Run. Because he has no power. You're picking the fight. I don't care what the enemy does. Because you know why I don't care what the enemy does? He's already got his butt kicked. Conquered. Christ is risen, death is overcome, we stand in him victorious. I care not what the enemy does when he's already defeated. Well, you know, they're sitting there in their graves contemplating their next move. There is no next move when they're dead. They have no power. And yes, Peter will warn you that he's seeking someone to devour. James tells you what? Resist him firm in your faith and he'll flee. That's it. Resist him firm in your faith and he will flee. Why? Because when you stand firm in your faith, where is your focus? It's upon God, in Christ, in the work of the Holy Spirit. Which means, what accusation have you got left? Oh yeah, you were. Yeah, were. Oh yeah, you did. You're right. Did. But in Christ I am clean. In Christ I am not guilty. In Christ I have overcome. And why am I talking to you? I got Jesus. What more do I need? That's why this matters. Because it gets you not paying attention to You. Start there. What were you? What are you? Where were you? Where are you? And then remember that it is for Christ that we work. It is for God's glory that we live and worship and serve. And now that your why is organized, what's going to take care of itself? The what and the how, because the why is what matters truly. That's where Jude goes next. Because him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to our only God, our Savior. Remember that. What separates you from the one trembling at the foot of the mountain, terrified of what God will say next? Romans chapter 5. God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, through the, I'm sorry, through the, through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received. The reconciliation. See, that's that ceiling for sanctification. That's that blameless and standing. All in the same thing in Romans. See, when you were a kid, well, let's see, maybe see if your parents ever did this to you. My mother did this on occasion. It was horrifying when she did. Did you ever get the wait till your father gets home when you did something you weren't supposed to have done? Yep. Was that a fun afternoon? No. Why? Why? Because you knew what was coming. Just yell at me now and get it over with, right? Whatever you do, just do it now. Don't make make me sit here like I'm waiting for the gallows to be built so you can hang me on them. Like, that's the worst part. Just get it done with. Now, when Dad was coming home because we were going out to eat, did it take as long? Sometimes it took longer because you were what? (laughs) Do you ever wonder that maybe that's why the New Testament churches felt like it was an eternity before God had returned and they had to constantly be comforted to keep waiting? Because they were actually looking forward to it? See, this is the end of Revelation 6. This is the warning that in that judgment, what are the nations doing? (laughs) Save us! The wrath of God and the Lamb is kindled! Who can stand? Drop a mountain on my head. It'll be less painful. I mean, we'll we'll be better off over here. Don't ask me where that weird New York accent just came from. Did anybody else hear that? I felt that. That was bizarre. I'm sorry. They're hoping for that because that's got to be easier than dealing with God. And then you get to chapter 7 and what do you see? The saints around the throne, worshiping, rejoicing. They're not afraid of God because... That's a, there's this whole thing going around social media to see how you treat your dog. Have you seen this? Walk up to your dog and pick your hand up like that real fast. And there's all these videos of people doing it, and the dog's just looking at them like, what is that? And what does it demonstrate? (laughs) That they have never gone, I mean, you have to go check on it. There's there's dozens of these videos of people like swinging a fist in front of their dog's nose, and the dog's just like, what are you doing? (laughs) Because they trust, because they've never been wronged. Christian, God hasn't wronged you. He has redeemed you. He has died for you. And he has upheld you in his righteousness and granted it to you. We don't fear his coming. We long for it because of who he is and what he has done. And not only do we long for it, we walk in accordance with it. This is what the Holy Spirit empowers you to do. That, that whole kick you back on the trail thing empowers you to do this. Why? Because he loves me. Like, Did you ever have to worry about if you If you were told, when dad gets home, we're going out to dinner. Did you have to be told to, like, go clean your room and be dressed and ready to go? No, because you were excited about it. You were prepared for it. Christian, that's what sanctification is. It's you preparing because I know where I'm going. I know how I'm getting there. Therefore, I'm getting myself ready when? Now. No, I'm not worried. I mean, I'll be ready when I get there because I'm ready right now. It's like my kids when they try to negotiate every year on Christmas Eve. Can we sleep in this under the tree? No, go to bed. Why do, why do they want to sleep right there? Because if they sleep right there, as soon as we wake up, they start negotiating. Will you wake me up at five? No. I'm not getting up at five. <laughs> but what do they want to do? They want to get, we're going to get started right now. When we go visit Cameron's parents, I had to have a rule because they started. We left on November 7th. They started in June asking me about what they should pack and how many bags they could bring. No. No. After Halloween, you can talk to me about packing for Nana's house. But why do they want to pack in June? Because they're excited. I kid you not, my kids went home the week before we left, and I'm like, where is your pants? I packed them. Get your pants out of your bag. You have to wear them this week. Go get them and put them on your body right now. Okay. They're excited. Christian, we laugh, but this is how we should live. This is why we walk the way that we walk. This is why we cling to righteousness. This is why we kill sin with fire, because what I'm trying to do is to be there now. I, I, I want to, like when he shows up, it'll be like, "Let me go pack a bag. Let me go let the dog out. Hold on, i got to wash the dishes. i got to do the laundry. No, it's already done. It's been done. We've been sitting here going, "Oh, good, you're here. We can leave now." That's the goal, because that's who he is. That's. Who he is. He is our God and our Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because, okay, simple trivia, just make sure we understand this. How many ways to God? One. Give me one Bible verse for it. You Ready? No, no, I'm not going to. There's a better one than John 3.16. Come on. You only get one Bible verse to explain that there's only one way to God, and it's through Christ. What's a good one to go to? John 14, there it is. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He is our God. He is our Savior through the work of Christ, which is why we celebrate. This is, this is why we have the can. Look, are they pretty? Yes. Do I? Was I, was I too close to them that time? Oh, see, see I'm, good, I'm good here. See, that's why I, I got two steps. See, if I only had one step back, we'd have a problem, because then I got an alligator arm, it, so yeah, that's not good. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm giving Trudy 27 heart attacks this morning. Hey, it's a good day. <laughs> if nothing else, you don't have to go, go for an EKG. They go, we'd like you to take a stress test. No, you don't. I do one every Sunday with my pastor and the candles. We're good. So, <laughs> I mean, are they pretty? Yes. Are they the point? No. We use them. To do what? To focus. Hope. Love. Hope in what? Christ. His promises. The fulfillment of the ages in God. Love. Of who? God. For his people. Whom he has died for and redeemed. Joy. Why? This is the question of the morning. Why should you have joy? Because I feel like it? No, 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 no. You should have joy because that is where you are. You are in Christ, redeemed of Him, walking. Because to be otherwise is to be looking away from Christ, who is our life, at the final revelation, is to look at who? Me. No, For every look at yourself. Take 10 looks at Christ. Because the minute you find yourself staring at you after a while, you know what you'd better find a way to start doing? Stare at Jesus because otherwise something bad's about to happen. you're about to do something dumb, and what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. That's always the rule. That rule is always in effect at all times. So, Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory. Well, of course there should be glory. That is who God is, right? This is Exodus 34. It came when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hands, that Moses did not know that his skin of his face shone because of his speaking with God. When Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses... Behold, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. Why? Because they didn't understand, and they didn't know. Moses was different because of the work of God. Hmm, Christian? In Christ you are a new creation. All things have passed away. What's my favorite word in the Bible? Behold, new things have come. You're supposed to be different because of Christ. You're supposed to think differently. You're supposed to live differently because you are different. I wanted to get another L-Y in the end of there, and I just couldn't figure out how to do it that quickly, so you're stuck there. But this this is the call of Paul in Romans 12. Why are your actions? We've done this before. Let's do it again because this makes sense. I want my actions to change. What happens when I focus on changing my actions? Success or failure? Failure. If you don't believe me, ask anyone who's ever been on a diet. You go on the diet and after six weeks, you do what? Cake, cookie. (laughs) And how many of them do you eat? All of them, there's not even a number. You're just like, we count, we measure, when the diet is over, we measure Oreos by the box. Right, it's not like like, diet starts, you're like, okay, a serving size is three Oreos, I will have two, because that way I can maybe have one later. By the end of the diet, you're like, a serving size is three, who eats three Oreos? Because the action yeah, there you go. The action is not the problem. The problem is the thought process based on the desires of the heart. What the Holy Spirit does, because of the work of Christ, is change the desires of your heart. Because the heart is changed, you think about the things of your world differently. And when you think about the things of your world differently, you will then act Differently, which is why I'm forever telling you, I don't care what you do, I care why you do it. Because the why gets at the motivations of the heart. Get that right, the how will be determined by the thought process and the what is figured out all by its little old lonesome. That's because of the glory of God. Because it shines brightly in his people. Where do you think the light that you shine is supposed to come from? You're not shining your light, you're shining his because he has made you different. So be glory and majesty. Well, that just connects. So I think we can keep on moving, right? Dominion. There's one. If you've ever paid attention, short of our last election, we've really made that like a terrible, dirty word, haven't we? Yes, I made one political joke. Don't throw anything at me. If you didn't get it, you're a better human being, so don't worry about it. (laughs) What do we mean when we say God has dominion? See, this is one of those obvious things that we don't pay attention to. What is God in charge of? Everything. Everything. Who is God in charge of? Everyone. Where does he rule? Everywhere. Do we live like that? <laughs> See, I got you right there, didn't I? Because what's the temptation? We forget the simple stuff. That there is a God in heaven enthroned above how much of his creation? All of it. He has dominion over everything. Come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. He turned the sea to dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. That's Psalm 66. He rules over everything. This was the lesson of Exodus, wasn't it? In the, in the plagues on Egypt. is God systematically demonstrates authority for the Egyptians over what? Everything. Sun, moon, stars, sky, ground, water, bugs, critters, crops, people, you name it, he's got that kind of power. Because of who he is. Because of where he sits. That power, that authority, that righteousness demands that my sin and your sin be destroyed. In order to destroy my sin, what must also be destroyed? Me! You've got to destroy me! Why am I still here? Because in Christ I have been declared blameless. I have been raised up. My sin has been destroyed. I am actively fighting against it each and every day. And there is coming a day in his eternal kingdom when it will be gone forever. This is what that, behold, new things have come. I am different. The me that was wallowing in the power of sin is dead. And by his grace and mercy, I've taken up my cross to follow after him. Not because I am good, but because he is making me good. Some days kicking and screaming along the way. Other days, by his mercy and grace, as I walk faithfully. But he is doing this in my world and in my mind and in my heart. Because I am his. Because of his great work. So be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Well, if you own everything, you have rights over everything, right? That's an easy one. Before all time, now, and forever. Amen. When is God not God? (laughs) There's another one of those dumb questions, right, that we just don't think, but we don't live in those terms. See, this hurts us because process in your mind and understand a being that is outside of time. Let me know how that works out for you. Let me know when your head hurts. He's <laughs> like, okay, we're good, we're good. Why do I say God is outside of time? Well, one, because he created our concept of it, because he created us as finite beings who live in time. But why, how can the lamb be slain before the foundation of the earth, and yet the lamb is slain in time? The answer is because before God created, the plan was for Christ to offer himself for his people. When God has promised something, what will undo it? Which means the promise is as good as the accomplishment in God's sight, because it is done. He's promised it, therefore it's completed. It may not be completed in our understanding of time yet, but it is completed. This is how the Old Testament saints are saved before Christ. This is how Christ's work covers your sin is the Lamb is, I want to be very careful how I phrase this, but in essence, the Lamb is eternally slain because there is not a time when the salvific work of Christ does not apply because there is not a time in which Christ's work is inactive because he is outside of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's a beginning for who? For us. Before there was a beginning, there was... (laughs) was, No, there was God. See, we say that there was nothing. That's one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite um, science debates. Years ago, I got to watch this video, and the guy was debating a, uh, a president of the College Atheists Foundation thing. And he was explaining this idea that God is outside of time and matter. And the guy goes, well, no, 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 you got to understand that there was nothing. And then there was a vacuum and heat in this nothing. And the Christian goes, time out. A vacuum is something. Heat is something. Nothing means nothing. And he had the great description. He, he borrowed it. and I don't remember who he borrowed it from. But he said, nothing is what rocks dream about. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a great description of nothing. Because do rocks dream? No. See, we messed that up in the beginning. Well, that's a beginning for us. Because before there was a beginning, there was... God. Well, when was God? Yes. (laughs) When was God? Yes. I don't understand that. Neither do I. Neither does anybody else, and that's okay, because God is beyond us and apart from us and separate from us, and that's a good thing. But he has condescended to join us to himself in the work of his son. And that is also a very good thing. That's why Revelation 1, when Jesus shows up, he can declare, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Which means he has the power, he has the time, and he has demonstrated that he has the desire to accomplish these things for his people. Christian. When we remember who he is, we realize that his work spurs from who he is. That's why I'm forever telling you, because of who he is and what he has done. We talked about this last week when we talked about love. Hang on, I'm drying out like crazy. I blame the candles, it's the extra heat, you know, making me, making me thirsty. <laughs> but God loves not as a demonstration of what love is, but God loves because God is the standard in origination of love. Just like he's the standard in origination of justice and righteousness and wrath as properly demonstrated. That's what separates his anger from our anger. Our anger is typically around who? Us. We're angry because you have done something to me. Therefore, I'm trying to demonstrate that. God's anger is against sin. Yes, it is an affront to God, but it is against a proper object. Who God is influences what he does. Who he is is eternal and righteous and good, and he is making a people for himself. Christian, that's us. As he calls us and as we answer and repent of our sins and trust in him, he accomplishes all that he has promised, which means when you look at the world, are you secure in him? Yes, because who else has that kind of power? If you are in him, you are secure. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So you're secure, which means all of the victory that he has accomplished, how much of that will be given to you, Christian? So do you have victory? Yes, it is defeated. Why don't you live like it? Because I'm focusing on... Me and not him. Get your eyes off of me and get your eyes on him. In other words, stop focusing on the things that, let's see, is there a Bible verse that would maybe phrase this like, um, not focusing on the sin that so easily entangles us, but fixing our hope upon, fixing our eyes upon Christ? there be somewhere in the Bible that we maybe read something like that earlier today, possibly just a little bit. Okay, there you go. I do, I do, I do plan a little bit, not a whole lot, but a little bit. We're secure. We are victorious, which means we will be steadfast, which means, Christian, what possible reason would there be for you to avoid joy? And I'm serious, because with all of that stuff being true, what are you sad about? What are you mourning? What are you looking to be depressed over? And I phrase it that way because do you know where all of those things originate? With us. Because we are forsaking the reality in exchange for how we want to feel. Our joy as Christians is not determined by how we feel, but on what is true. And what is true is that God the eternal, God the almighty, God the righteous and blameless has condescended to rescue a people who did not deserve it. And he has accomplished this on their behalf in spite of themselves, and he has sealed them in his spirit in spite of themselves and is carrying them through to the day of completion because of his great love for them, because it is what he has promised to do. And that people... Is us as we trust in Him. <laughs> See, I say it like that because isn't that what the reaction didn't wasn't that the reaction you had to that once upon a time? Wasn't that the reaction you walked in once upon a time? What changed? Did God change? No, you changed, and your attitude toward it changed. It wasn't new. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't special. Yes, it is. It's new every morning. It's exciting and special every day. Why? Because the God of creation has redeemed even me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Because if he didn't, I would be a different person, in a different trajectory, going to a different place. But because of him, I can rejoice because the things of this world don't entangle. The things of this world can be, as the song puts it, strangely dim because I have seen his glory and his light and his majesty, and I have been redeemed and sealed in his spirit, and I have had my butt kicked to keep me back on the path, and I rejoice in that because it means he loves me. See, I grew up with a dad who didn't always whack me in the back of the head because he loved me, because I annoyed him. And in his defense, I can be annoying. Yeah, I can, I, look, I can acknowledge things. I can, I can admit my, my small faults. <laughs> Do you think, though, I looked back on a lot of those smacks and were like, I'm so glad I got that one. No. I can look back on all the discipline of God and say, I'm glad I got that one. Because it refines me and it purifies me and it demonstrates that he actually loves me and cares about me and is concerned about where I'm going and how I get there. Because he cares. Because he is redeeming. And because he desires that I be the best for him which is to be blameless and righteous and to fight to the good fight which means when I'm not fighting the good fight somebody's got to pick me up put me back where I belong and send me along and every time that happens I can rejoice because I am secure in him because he has been victorious and I can see the good of his work let's pray